All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you for being somewhat patient with our schedule here. It has gone a little bit over time. Um, working on getting the live stream set up and um, all that sort of, you know, going and, and running. Um, so what I'm going to do is up oh, there. You go. Got another stream on the guest. So what we're going to do is follow the same sort of format that we do all the time, um, which is basic introductions. We'll go through all of our panelists today, and then we'll kind of get stuck into it. Now, this one's probably going to be a little bit more outside the standard operating rhythm, just because I see it as being maybe um, a, a topic that's probably a little bit more uh, going to be a debate rather than um, you know straight up uh, you know talking about. Uh, what it is that, uh, you know, or, or answering specific questions, I suppose. And we do have people that are sort of, um, yeah, of a diverse range of opinions here. So what I'm going to do is um, very, very quickly, because we've already had everyone on that is on this stream on the stream before, uh, I won't do the big, long-winded introductions. We'll just kind of get cracking. But I think as I'm introducing you, uh, it would be uh, a good idea to sort of just say, um, and, and don't elaborate on it at all, just a quick answer is that uh, yes, I do believe that we do need taxes or no, I do not believe that we need taxes. All right, cool. So I'm Economics Explained. I'm a, I'm a Bogan Australian that makes videos on the internet. Um, Y'all know me. Um, but outside of that, we've got Peter Economics who also makes videos um, that discusses economic nuances. He's actually reacted um, I wouldn't say critically, but but he has sort of pointed out uh, errors in my in my videos and, and stuff like that before, or, uh, or at least sort of given us a different perspective on um, you know points that I've made. So uh, it's really really good to have those kinds of people on the stream. Um, now his background is is educational economics. Uh, he's he's uh, still um, still studying, so uh, obviously a very very smart cookie. We have compounded daily, uh, much the same as me. He's, Backgrounds in in finance, uh, he has background in investment banking. Uh, also a uh, creator here on YouTube. I could not uh, recommend his channel more. Compounded Daily. Um, it's it's really really fantastic. It has um, basic sort of uh, information. It's not necessarily on economics. It's more on finance. I would say, um, but his video topics are are very very interesting, and he doesn't get nearly the kind of credit he deserves. Uh, and obviously, given his background in in finance and investment banking, obviously a very very smart cookie. And then we have the mysterious Matthias, um, who also has background in in finance, but um, obviously coming from it from a much more adept uh, sort of position and um, an incredibly smart individual. Uh, but incredibly mysterious because he doesn't want us all to, to figure out who he is in real life because because uh, he's famous. Now, um, with that, uh, I'm going to go through you all because I just realized I didn't give you guys a chance to say edgewise. So, Peter, uh, do you believe that we need taxes? Yes. That, yeah. Cool. Compounded daily, do we need taxes? Uh, I hate to say it, but yes, we do. And Matthias, do we need taxes? Um, well, you only gave the the option of yes or no, um, so I guess I'll have to say no. But it, uh, also, I, I'd prefer to say it depends. <laughs> but we can yeah. get into that later. Yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew, I knew we'd all get lost in nuance. And of course, it's not one of those answers that um, <laughs> it is sort of really back and forth like that. So, so maybe I was a bit um, a bit cheeky with how I chose to put it. But um, <laughs> That's completely fine. Obviously, we'll give you guys um, your your day in the sun to to talk about that. Now, um, I'm going to sort of uh, get started. Obviously, there's a few topics um, that we have to kind of go over. 
um, and we're going to to get into those soon. But um, just off the bat, actually, to kind of get us into it and get the ball rolling, uh, someone asked a really, really good question on the live stream, and I think this would actually um, be one of those things where it's it's kind of good to kick us off and, and actually sort of see where we all sit with a bit of, um, you know, a, a bit more uh, detail. And, and that was from Tick Gamer. Uh, and he asked, my question for EE, or you know, our panellists, I suppose, is which country has the most fair and just tax laws? Uh, and I think this is a really, really interesting one because uh, there's a lot of stuff to really consider here. And um, and I would argue that look, what tax laws suit you know, a country uh, might not suit another country just because, you know, there are differences, you know, they might be at different stages of development. They might be different geographically. They might have natural resources, whereas another country doesn't. Um, now, my go-to, <laughs> two guesses, I don't know if anyone in the, the YouTube live chat wants to make a guess uh, as to what I think would be, uh, you know, sort of my ideal country in terms of taxation. Does anyone want to hazard a guess as to what I would say, just sort of historically? Monaco. Uh, well, you know, Monaco is not bad. Uh, no, I, I would actually say Norway. Um, now, Norway is one of those things you have to put a huge asterisk next to it. Of course, a lot of their prosperity comes from the fact that they do have natural resources. Uh, but I believe as a country that has found natural resources, they've done everything right. Yeah, there you go. Dick Damon kind of got it right. Um, simply because... Uh, they have not sort of necessarily squandered the wealth or put it into you know, necessarily living beyond their means like a lot of other oil rich nations have had with, with disastrous consequences. But they've realised that, look, you know, this is great. This is a huge leg up for us. Um, but we are still a nation that's going to value uh, strong social welfare, strong social policies, strong, you know, government influence on, um, you know, certain factors of the market. Uh, and that's what we want to maintain. This is just how we choose to run our, our government. And that means that we can't get people used to the idea um, that they're not going to have to pay taxes for those, you know, um, for those privileges. So, you know, income tax rates and and business tax rates in Norway are still, you know, relatively high. They're not unreasonably so, not compared to, let's say, uh, Sweden or Finland, but they're still there. Uh, and they are very, very conservative with how they do structure their budgets and, and obviously what they kind of give back and how they invest that. Um, so I think it's it's an example of a lucky country that has made the most of its luck. Um, but, you know, uh, as I alluded to, and I think it was literally the first country video I ever did. Um, it's silly to think that you could just copy and paste Norway's taxations or social or fiscal policy and, and la-di-da, you'll have the most amazing country ever because you won't. Um, Norway is lucky um, and, and, you know, we can't forget that, but it's still nothing to say that they, they haven't been very, very good with what they've done. All right, so yeah, that was kind of a, one of those questions that got me a little bit, uh, you know, off the top of your head. You take some thought. Now, Peter, do you have any? Uh, what would you say is, is your best country, or you know, country with the most fair and just tax laws? And, and why would you say that? Actually, I don't have one in mind. But one thing I would say, you know, in terms of the Norway example, one thing that Norway has, which uh, which other countries you mentioned, like Venezuela, you know, not to get too in, into it too deeply into the weeds, but one thing that uh, really held back Venezuela was that they actually issued a lot of their debt in US dollars, uh, whereas in Norway, but the Norwegian krona or krona, I don't know exactly how it's said, but they, you know, they control their own currency and that makes taxation a lot easier. Uh, whereas with nations like uh, Venezuela, where they depend 
uh, heavily upon the movements of the US dollar. And so it makes taxation policy that much more difficult for the government uh, because yes, you're collecting in your own money, but people are constantly exchanging between the US dollar and the Argentinian peso. And of, of course, and that's like, you know, of course, one of the lucky things, as you've mentioned with uh, uh, Norway and why it can have such a generous state system and why it can collect the taxes that it does uh, because <laughs> it issues it in its own currency and it doesn't depend as much upon the swings of uh, the US dollar. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's obviously an important one. And, and sometimes, you know, you've got to realise that, you know, countries like Venezuela... Uh, who are relatively new and untested and perhaps not very stable, uh, don't necessarily have the luxury of being able to borrow in their own home country, uh, own home currency. But it's certainly one of those things that you'd have to you'd have to think, like why Venezuela, the most oil rich country in the world, why the hell do they need to be borrowing money? Uh, I think that's the mistake that they made. But um, but yeah, no, I think that's that's a very, very important point, especially as it comes to, you know, maybe even not um, Venezuela, because I think they were just dumb. Um, <laughs> but maybe, uh, you know, hey, look, you know, let's say European countries that, that you know, didn't have the luxury of their own currency uh, through no fault of their own. They kind of, you know, well, you know, were they elected to, to use the euro? And uh, it's one of those things that they've kind of got to accept the, um, you know, the, the drawbacks of that. Um, all right, uh, Marius, this will be interesting. What would you say is a perfect country and why? Well, there's no perfect country, but to answer the question with um, what uh, country has the most fair taxes, I think uh, Liechtenstein is definitely up there. And the reason for that is that uh, they have the right to secede in their con constitution. So any community that uh, is um, like, let's say they start implementing a crazy tax policy in Liechtenstein, like the the prince decides that now I'm going to tax everybody at 100%, for example, um, then every local community has the right to leave um, and either form their own nation or join a different one. Like they could join uh, Austria or Switzerland or whatever. Um, and I think that that inherently makes it a lot more fair because um, you have the right to to opt out of it. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of those sort of instances where, um, you know, basically they have to they really have to sell the idea of of maintaining the, the country to to the people of the country. And uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not sure of what you know. Like there there is certainly things written into laws that kind of give people that 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 um, kind of power in, in theory uh, whereas in practice sometimes it's very very hard to to eventuate but um, yeah I think that's that's probably a, a fair one where it's sort of like hey you know you always have the option if you don't like it um, you can genuinely leave um, yeah and I, I, I don't mean like there's a difference between like oh move to Somalia right like that's one way yeah. to say like that's one way to reply the other way to reply is to yeah you can take your private property um and you you can leave this country with it yeah yeah so is that is that does that go down to sort of like an individual level um i i did read up on it but i didn't sort of uh delve too far into it even though it was one of those really interesting topics but uh so like if, let's say i owned a, a house in the middle uh, of Liechtenstein or Liechtenstein or however it is that you pronounce it i got in a lot of trouble for how i pronounced it um and i sort of said ah oh, no fuck this i i'm, I'm outie would an individual be able to do that no, it, it's only the the towns that have a, a right to to leave on like a municipality level. Yeah. Hmm. 
pretty interesting. Yeah, very, uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, and then I'll pass it on to you, Compounded. We won't, we won't put you on the spot, Ratty, because you've only just joined the stream. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Compounded, uh, everyone else still gets put on the spot. Um, which country do you think has the most fair and just tax laws? Um, yeah, no, I think, <laughs> I think that's a, a complicated question, only because um, you know uh, I could, I could kind of spill out my theoretical fair. Um, uh, in, in just tax laws. And, you know, I could put out the, the concept of, of the, the Laffer curve, whatever maximizes revenue for the government. But I, I don't necessarily think that's, that's even the best because, you know, um, kind of grew up with, with two parents in the military and heard horror stories about how if they didn't maximize or how if they didn't spend the full amount of their budget, um, then, you know, it would get cut the following year. So of course they're incentivized to, if they don't meet the maximum amount they spend in a particular budget, then they, um, you know, they, 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 they lose that money for the next year. So they have to spend that and that leads to inefficient spending. So I, I, I don't know, I would have to dive in to see, you know, w whether or not value is created in the dollars that are being taxed and, and to what rate. Um, I'd have to get very specific to be honest, but, um just in general I, I i don't know i can't put, put my finger on an individual country yeah and i think that's fair look uh obviously we'll, we'll call that uh, a, a half cop out question half <laughs> you know you really did need to commit to someone to get full marks but uh, you know what you did as good as you can without without really sort of pointing fingers at any particular country but that's all right <laughs> uh because that was just a warm-up question to kind of uh give us an idea of, uh, of where we sort of sit on the taxation question um in, in a bit more uh detail i suppose than, than just sort of saying do you think we need taxes because matthias sort of said that that wasn't fair and you know what i kind of agree i was just trying to keep it brief but um this is this is the next question uh well the next topic that we'll get into um it's showing up on the the bottom little bar there uh which is why do we pay taxes so this is uh you know there's, there's a lot of ways that you know you can really kind of look at this uh is it something that is you know simply because we live in a society that requires revenue and we all universally agree that okay we'll go out and pay it or is it one of those things where um you know it's kind of in reverse we need it so that countries you know, demand that currency uh you know it's one of those really really complicated questions now i ultimately made the um you know i ultimately made the point in the video that that why most people pay their taxes um despite what they'll tell you is not because they feel some civic duty or, or because they think they'll benefit from it or they think it's the right thing to do uh, most people pay their taxes because they will go to prison if they don't um and and i look at that from my perspective now uh, taxes are something that that i i personally you know see the value in um i you know i i understand you know that taxes need to be raised and it's one of those things that's kind of useful and and, and i believe in you know progressive taxation and taxing uh you know people that have accumulated extreme wealth and uh you know making people pay back to the societies that have done so well by them uh, all of that, absolutely, you know, I'm 100% on board with. But um, also when it actually comes down to paying my own taxes, I'm like, oh, eh, oh no, man, I don't really want to. And, you know, despite that being my uh, point of view. 
And the reason that I do pay those taxes is not because of my belief system. It's not because I think that, you know, this is the right way to do it. I don't feel even like, you know, this is, this is you know, redistributing wealth, uh, you know, equitably around society. No, no, because if I don't pay these damn taxes, I'll go to prison. Now, I don't know if anyone else sort of disagrees with that uh, on an individual level. Uh, and we'll get into sort of what that means by extrapolation later on. But does anyone want to fight that argument that, you know, there are other reasons that people, you know, actually properly sit down and pay their taxes? On a personal level, probably not. I think I think that's like virtually everybody. I don't sure. think you know people have civic duties and stuff, but I think it's like more directly. It's like oh, I'll help an old lady across the street, but it's like it's not like oh, you know, I'm going to pay my taxes and it's going to help the government or something. Although, funnily enough, we do actually get here in Canberra uh, with the Labor government, <laughs> we do get a pamphlet uh, sent to us, and it's like oh, this is what your taxes are paid for. Uh, but even then, I. I don't know how much attention people actually pay to that or how much value they attach to that in terms of the taxes, whether or not they think more highly of the fact that they have to pay taxes. And certainly because some taxes have increased uh, in Canberra in the recent years, uh, I don't know if that's actually worked to their favour. Yeah. So here in the States, uh, well, if, if you don't pay taxes, um, the IRS, uh, Internal Revenue Service, will do things like they'll put a lien on your house um they'll put a put a lien on real assets which you know generally gives them the the right to that asset until you actually pay your taxes um so uh, i i i don't think necessarily that you know you would go to prison but they would they would make your life hell yeah no, i think that that's fair enough i mean ultimately of course um you know, uh, uh, there's probably been a bit facetious, but the, the sense that you know, if you if you completely refuse, obviously the end, uh, the end situation is uh, eventually you would probably go to prison. Uh, you know, if you're really being naughty and you're really avoiding it, but um, yeah, you are right. It's, like, it's it's rare that anyone actually does go to prison for uh, taxes, but uh, it happens. You know, obviously if they're they're you know, uh, you know, engaging in structures that are you know, illegally avoiding taxes, yeah, it does it, or they're under-reporting, you know, sometimes there is a, yep. you know, uh, rather kind of brutal punishments for doing so, so, um, uh, you know, it's not sort of outside the the scope of reality, but um, Compounded says it's obviously um, far less, uh, you know, far less cinematic, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's obviously the, the, the player who, I mean, if the IRS proves that you're deliberately avoiding paying your taxes, then that's <laughs> that's when they bring the cuffs. Yeah, yeah, that's when they bring the cuffs. So, like, uh, who was that actor that um, that went to prison for for tax? Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley <laughs> Snipes. Jeez. Uh, but yeah, you know, obviously that's um, you know probably not going to happen to most people, but it does happen, uh, and it is one of those things. Now, I'm, I'm glad I you said there is there is other reasons that people pay their taxes, right? Yeah, I, mean, what they I think it depends a lot on what country we're talking about as well, like. If we're talking about the US, then you're, you're so disengaged from what your your taxes actually go towards funding that um, that is probably true that most people are just paying them because uh, if they don't, they'll go to prison. Uh, or yeah. at least they're going to make your life hell, as uh, Compounded Daily said. Um, but in a country like Denmark, where it's quite small and uh, your taxes, uh, like a significant por portion of your taxes are paid to um the local municipality and above that the the region as well uh where the region is paying for healthcare and things like this um 
the um, like if you if you were to ask a person like my mom for example whether she's paying her taxes because she'll go to prison if she doesn't um her, her answer would not be that that's why um yeah. she she's doing it because she feels it's the, the right thing um so it, yeah it depends on the person depends on the country i think like cultural homogeneity and and the the fact that you can see that your taxes are going towards something that that you wanted to go towards that uh, goes a long way to um to justifying it in your own eyes um so yeah it depends yeah and i think that's a really i'm glad someone brought it up because i was going to go counter to my own point now um i would argue especially and and you already hit the nail on the head where um you know in the united states things are just so you know, sort of so abstract in, in what your actual dollars are doing. It, it's almost sort of outside the scope of you. You'll it, It's as good as just throwing money up into the air and hoping for the best. Um, but um, when, when, when taxes are sort of a lot more uh, localized and centralized, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is, there's actually sort of something to be said for this. Because um, let's look at that, that sort of side of the extreme first. Now, um, do you think uh, people... Uh, and I'm I'm actually going to sort of focus primarily on uh, very very wealthy people, people that have you know incomes above sort of half a million dollars a year, either coming from very high paying jobs, uh, successful businesses, or a combination of both, or maybe sort of um, you know uh, existing asset classes, you know uh, shares, stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever it might be. Um, you know collectively their their income. Um, is you know sort of half a million dollars a year do you think those that class of individual uh, would be more incentivized to pay their taxes or at least not go to the same extremes of avoiding it uh, if there was some kind of positive feedback for them on on, on our level you know uh, let's say for an australian like like myself um you know I, I pay my taxes and and i pay close to half of my income goes to to the government like something like 47 cents in the dollar um goes to to the government and um i don't see anything for it i i don't get anything different from someone that that doesn't pay any taxes because their income's lower now there's the argument to be said that look um hey ee if you want to pay less taxes earn less money you've been very well you're doing very well in this society um you know you're, you're obviously living very very comfortably and that's sort of a reality that's been made possible by the society that you live in the opportunities that you've been given the safety that you've been afforded so suck it up live with it pay your damn taxes but there's other things to be sort of said where it'd be you know hey um you know you're, you're giving almost half of the money that you make back to our government Here's some kind of recognition for it. Here's something that says, uh, even if it's non-tangible, something that sort of says um, you are um, contributing more to society than, um, you know, maybe someone who's not. And now it sounds incredibly elitist and, and you know, I feel kind of almost, almost a bit sick um, sort of suggesting it, but something to say, hey, thank you for your contribution. You know, you're a, you're a platinum member of society or... Uh, you know, hey, maybe you have some kind of a voice in, in what your tax dollars are used for, or maybe you get to dictate where it is that your tax dollars go, or um, something, something to the yeah. I mean, like, why why is it that rich people, for example, fund the construction of museums and acquisition of art for that museum? Like, um, I like for example, there's a museum in in Madrid called uh, the Tucson Museum 
which is named after um, a German industrialist. I, I don't know if you know the company, Thyssen. Uh, it's like a giant uh, uh, steel conglomerate that um, one of the main things that they produce now is uh, escalators. Um, okay. Like, I think the bragging rights of having your name on a museum, for example, that's um, that's a psychic profit. Um, and it's probably one of the main reasons that rich people do this sort of thing. Um, so I, I think it would make a lot of sense instead of like when they're building a new hospital, for example, if there's, you know, some wealthy individual in Australia that's been paying, you know, half a billion in, uh, in taxes or something, well then name the hospital after them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those, one of those interesting things. And the other thing that, uh, I mean, obviously the counterpoint to that is you don't want to, to, you know, basically give. Uh, divisions you know you don't want to have you are clearly a, a first class citizen you're a second class citizen you're a third class citizen based on sort of wealth which is um i would suppose what would be the counter argument to that uh hey just because you earn more uh, doesn't mean that you're 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 any better in the eyes of the government than someone who earns eighteen thousand two hundred dollars oops sorry uh, eighteen thousand two hundred dollars a year and pays no income tax at all um you know everyone's sort of on an equal playing field here it is an interesting one um, now, I think it would be interesting if you had, um, uh, you know, for, for all of the projects the government funds, even if it's like building a bench or a staircase or whatever, um, if you could have um, like um, um, uh, where you're paying taxes, you have like a cumulative amount that you paid in taxes and then um, for everything that's being built, you, um, uh, you can um, uh, like you, can, you, could, you could sort of have like... Um, um, like a, a a bid that's being like where you're using the like let's call it uh, tax miles or whatever you want to call it like similar as air miles right where yeah. you can use these uh, these tax credits to um, to get your name on whatever whatever the government is building so like if you paid five thousand in uh, in taxes maybe you uh, I don't know what cost five thousand like um, let's say. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, like renovating a park lamp. or something like who? Yeah, or a street lamp. Yeah, since you used that example, like then, then you could get <laughs> get like a plaque on the street la street lamp with your name on it. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I know it's like a vanity thing, and it doesn't really mean much, but um, I, yeah, who knows? May, maybe that'll make people feel a little happier about it. Yeah, and there's there's, there's also been the argument that like uh, you know there should be some kind of ranking. It's like these were the top taxpayers of the year. It's kind of like a right. leaderboard for the wealthy, but um, there's there's two sides of that. I mean, I, I would say the ostentatious nouveau riche would really appreciate that. Like, hey, look at how rich I am. Um, but I would argue just the same that there are people that would just absolutely wince at that. They would they would hate the idea that you know how much money that they've made or paid or done something with as publicly available information. Um, so, do you think there's any any merit to the idea that uh, hey, you know, maybe there's just a leaderboard of people that have paid the most taxes? Well, as long as you can, um, you know, decide whether you want to appear on the leaderboard or not, uh, I don't see any problem with having something like that. I mean, yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of our really, really rich people uh, pay a lot of money uh, to make sure information about them is hidden, uh, or as much as they possibly can, right? uh, given the nature yeah. of the internet itself. Um, I think, yeah, I think some of those people would, uh, might consider leaving the country if something like that was introduced, or at least that they'd, they'd be a lot more wary. Um, and they'd uh, they'd also be very careful with how uh, the the tax like you know they're paying the tax make sure none of that information 
uh, was leaked out in any manner, uh, given the new regime. Right. And it's also I difficult to calculate that number even because, you know, rich people often have uh, holding companies and like all kinds of structures between them and what they pay in, in personal income taxes and capital gains taxes. Yeah. Uh, so it, it would actually be pretty difficult to even estimate how much they paid in taxes. Right. And if there was a leaderboard, I'm sure there would be a lot of, you know, people saying, you know, I, you know, this guy's the, he's, he's a billionaire. Uh, why isn't he paying more taxes? And then you realize his compensation structure is very little on income. Um, and, and he's, you know, plowing a lot of what he would receive in income back into retained earnings to grow his company. So um, there's, there's that too. So it, it's, 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 it's a thought, but I think it runs into a, a pretty few complicated situations. Yeah. And yeah. also like deductions based on how much you paid in charity and exactly like all, all of these things right. all factor into how much taxes that you're paying. Yeah. And that's, uh, sorry, oh, sorry. Did someone else have something to say? Sorry. We'd have to have a simpler tax code to like implement scoreboard essentially. Yeah, you would, but I mean, it would be one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, Hey, uh, if you want to go nuts and, and, you know, live in your lawyer and your accountant's office to, to, you know, generate ways and creative movements for your money that, that minimize your tax burden, yeah, no worries. You know, maybe that, that's still one of those things. As long as it's legal, go ahead. But, you know, whoever at the end of the year is writing the biggest check to the IRS or the ATO or the, you know, local central tax authority of whatever country you're in, uh, that goes on the leaderboard. So, yep. Sure, there, there's creative ways that you can move money around with trusts and donations and um, offshoring of profits or reinvestment of profits. And, you know, there's there's a million different ways that you can sort of reduce your tax burden. Uh, but we're talking about whoever is writing down the biggest check at the end of the year, that's where you go on the board. There's no uh, details or anything else about it. It's just like, who, who wrote the biggest check? Uh, it might be someone uh, that just is... is a straight up employee and they just get a straight up payout of, you know, $10 million a year because they're a CEO and they, they don't take any stock options or anything like that because their company is stupid and the way that they compensate them. And, um, you know, they write a $5 million check and hey, maybe that person goes to the top of the leaderboard. Uh, but yeah, of course, obviously there's, there's nuances and that to it, but that is the next thing that I wanted to get up to, um, which is in a, uh, a, a good, um, you know, let's say just and, and, and fair society. Do you guys think that tax deductions, uh, specifically donations to to charities, uh, should be tax deductible? Yes. Yes. Okay. Why do you think that? Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, when you're donating to charity, you're effectively... Um, helping with allocate taxes towards uh, ends that you feel are important. Um, I mean, there, obviously there's, <clears throat> there, there can be issues with it. Like um, I, I know a lot of wealthy people set up um, uh, charities uh, like the, like let's take the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation where like, I'm not saying they're doing it, but um, like, this is what I would yeah, do if I wanted to avoid taxes, yeah, yeah. right? Like I would set up, a charity and then I would, um, you know, host uh, all of the expensive di dinners I want to host. I would put some kind of a charity spin on it and, and have the charity pay for it. Um, and effectively, all that uh, the charity is doing is just funding expensive dinners. It's not actually, you know, giving money to anybody. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that sort of thing is an issue if, <clears throat> if your goal 
is actually to get money into the hands of people who need it. Um, but I mean, my, my stance, as you know, anyway, is that uh, if it's your money, it's your money. So like, even if somebody wanted to burn all the money on buying expensive yachts, I'm fundamentally okay with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would go so far uh, as supporting it. <laughs> go ahead, Peter. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, let's let's assume that uh, whatever charity is a legitimate one, you know, therefore it's not there just to hide people's money and stuff. Let's say it's a legitimate one. To my mind, the way I see it, if people are donating, regardless of their intentions, let's say their intention literally is just to um, try to lower their tax bill, yep. I'm still okay with that because the money's still going to the charity and they're still using it. It's like, you know, the money doesn't, or the, the charity doesn't judge the money that comes in. The money is just money. And so in that sense, I think, and, you know, trying to close that off or making it harder to donate, I think would just hurt on net uh, charities more uh, than it would help them. Yeah. yeah and I, I think charities are more efficient at actually um, using those scarce means to help people anyway. Like the government is notoriously inefficient with anything that they do. Um, so yeah. almost no matter how bad the charity is, it's going to be better at allocating the funds that the government is. Right. And I think um, to, to go off of Matthias's point, um, I, I, I think way too much there's like uh, this um, uh, negative ne negative look at charities as in there are, there are ways they're just tax deductible uh, vehicles for the wealthy to, to you know, to, to run uh, run their incomes through. I, 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 I have a hard time really uh, buying that personally. I've been to quite a bit of charity dinners. Um, and I completely agree that dollar for dollar, I would trust more the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to handle um, the, you know, uh, actually creating value out of a donation rather than the government creating value. And what I mean by that is if you look at the work in Africa um, that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done, um, a lot of their alleviating poverty, a lot of their reach, so they did a lot of kind of investigation in terms of what's causing poverty and they, they linked it to health conditions and the fact that people get really sick and that oftentimes prevents people from, you know, continuing their education. And they found that malaria specifically was, was one of the big problems. And I think toilets as well. They found that if uh, they installed toilets, that, that would have a huge impact on just a, a, a ton of things. So um, that sort of uh, due diligence, investigating, I don't think could have been done with any sort of government. I mean, it hasn't, but it really does take the, uh, something like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to do something like that. And, you know, they found tangible results in alleviating poverty. So, yeah. Cool. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this. Now, I don't um just the same i've been the beneficiary of many a, a non-profit uh dinner or soiree and um you know most of the time it's a pretty lovely thing you you overbid on some uh some crap that you you're absolutely never going to use and uh you know everyone goes back uh happier and healthier and isn't it, isn't it all a jolly good time and hey maybe in the process you know a few kids get fed or some research gets done um but there are a few counterpoints that we have to sort of really recognize here. The first is, of course, when, especially when we're looking at, I mean, we've seen it firsthand um, with art, right? Uh, we not too long ago did a video on, on how, you know, art is used as donations to circumvent um, tax. And, and it's one of those things where it's, it's you know, you are actually genuinely um, paying less in tax. It's not something where I'm, you know, 
giving $100 to save $50 on tax. It's somewhere where I'm giving $10 to save $50 on tax, and that is uh, a genuine financial benefit to me, uh, where it may not even be a genuine net benefit to society. So that is one of those things. Would you, uh, would anyone disagree with perhaps the argument that um, if you want your donations to be tax deductible, they have to be in cash? Mm, I don't necessarily think that that uh, has to be the case. Uh, like with with art, for example, as well. Um, I mean, yes, it's used to avoid taxes with. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the fact that they're using it to avoid taxes with. Um, that drives up the the demand for for more art, and um, I mean, yes, it doesn't help feeding anybody that we have more art. But uh, at least in my opinion, it, it's uh, it's one of the important things that humans produce. Um, I uh, when when I go on vacations, this is the primary thing I do. I go to museums. Um, it's um, one of the things I love most to do on vacations is go to a museum and see art that I've never seen before. Okay. Um, so, so to follow on from that, obviously, yeah, I'm no, I don't think anyone's going to argue with the fact that, um, you know, art has its place, but uh, effectively what that's doing then is, is subsidizing this, this art market, uh, you know, with other people's taxation dollars, you know, this is, this is a tax that has not been collected. So it's effectively subsidizing, um, you know, this market for, I think that's the wrong art. way to put it. Like what, what you're basically assuming here is that that money is, uh, is the property of, um, uh, of the, the people that, uh, are the recipients of, of benefits from, from money that is taxed. But in reality, the money that they're spending is their money. If we were, if we were to assume that, um, let's say this loophole didn't exist. Um, let's say that people couldn't artificially drive up the price of their art on paper, then donate it, and then use that uh, then use that non-cash donation as a write-off um, to effectively save themselves money on, on art. Um, let's say, um, you, know, you know, hypothetically that that wasn't the case, or you know, they, they weren't able to do that. You know, um, to your point, you know, there might not be as much art that that exists, or if there is that much art that exists, it, it won't be worth as much. Um, and it wouldn't be donated nearly as readily. Um, doesn't that sort of follow then um, the fact that these people go without paying tax dollars, you know, the fact that, you know, agree with it or not agree with it, um, that these people would have otherwise had to pay tax dollars, means that this art has effectively been subsidised very indirectly, I'll give you that, um, by, you know, uh, taxation agencies uh, or our governments in the world. But that, uh, as as I said, that assumes that the money is the tax authority's money, but it's not. It would have been though, you know. In no, a, in no, no, a, in no, 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 no. Uh, taxes are theft, right? Like we can okay. we can discuss whether whether it's justified theft, right? But it is yep. theft. Like you're you're effectively taking the private property of somebody else. You're taking it by force. Okay, that's well, if, even if we do say it's theft, that's fine. I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to play along with the idea that it's theft, and uh, that's something that we'll we'll chat about. Uh, I'm sure um, sooner or later. But um, all right, let's say we have our thief here. Um, you know, our thief has got to eat. Uh, our thief has got to pay for its poor people. Our thief has got to build some roads. Now, uh, and now we have our our savvy businessman. Now, normally the savvy businessman gets mugged at the end of every year, and uh, the savvy businessman has to pay the thief. But the savvy businessman this year has been very clever. Um, he set up all of these beautiful art installations that's fooled our 
fool down mugger um and uh you know the 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 thief is so dazzled by all this beautiful artwork that um he forgets to actually mug uh, our rich businessman now uh what that means is is our thief is, is without his money uh sure he's been dazzled by some artwork but but he you know no longer has the money that he needs to pay for his sick children and build roads and all that sort of stuff um which means that um in terms of net net actual sort of transfers our mugger uh is poorer our savvy businessman is richer and the only difference is there's some art there so effectively we've foregone foregone um you know extra cash to pay for roads and schools or whatever else it is that the mugger wants to to use that money for um and subsidize that with with some art that you know may or may not be as valuable as we truly think it is would you acquiesce that you know maybe um that has you know kind of been indirectly subsidized by the mugger no, because the word subsidy, like my, what I'm attacking is that the word subsidy, subsidize assumes that the money is the mugger's money. Right. Okay. I, well, I... my problem is not, I mean, I, I agree fundamentally that the fact that money is being used or scarce means of being used one place means that they can't be used a different place. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, that's just basic economic law, right? Right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not denying that. My problem is just calling it the like subsidies. My only, my only thing is, if we were to stop uh, rich people from, you know, let's say, let's say it is subsidizing the art market. My only thing is, rich people are still going to try and lower their taxes. And the thing is, like with the art market, mostly anyway, it's public. Uh, whereas, like, and so that's something that they can do now to, you know, lower their taxes. But if we take that option away, it might really push them into other means uh, to try and lower their taxes and other means that we might not like, and which might uh, be an overall uh, loss uh, or at least um, lose some benefits for society. Whereas at least with the art market, you know, we can all look at art, we can all appreciate it, we can all enjoy it. And right. as Matthias was saying, it pushes up the demand. And, you know, if they do it to lower the taxes, it, it might actually be in the end a net benefit from that point of view, as opposed to what else they could do with their money to and lower their taxes okay so the argument uh, on here... the part about closing loopholes by the way i so there's a method that you could use to do that quite easily which i don't understand why tax authorities have, have not tried yet like imagine that you just have um you know 10 different uh, uh tax codes and every year you just do um like a, a random raffle where you pick one of the ta tax codes um and they're all different right that way, it's impossible for anybody to uh, predict what the tax code is going to look like for that year. And if that's impossible, it's impossible to plan for, um, you know, how to avoid it. Would you? Uh, I mean, that's a really interesting idea. I want to. Uh, I want to get back to that one. But Peter, I'm going to. I'm going to um, focus on your one first. So, um, you say, okay, well, look, um, rich people are going to avoid taxes no matter what. Um, they're going to do their dandest to to kind of get around taxes, but. Uh, at least this way we get some pretty pictures to look at. Um, mm -hmm. So the big problem, and especially when we're looking at art, is the fact that they can materially on paper uh, massively increase the value of these artworks um, while they donate them, which means it's not like someone donating $100 to, I don't know, cancer research, um, where they, they give $100 in cash and, hey, maybe at the end of the year they'll save you know, 50 cents in taxes if they're, if they're taxed at 50%. It's someone that's buying a painting for 
then saying it's worth $100, donating it to save $50 in taxes. So they are actually, um, in a sense, profiting off that um, donation. An important note on that, by the way, is that uh, um, so if that's the specific example you're talking about, then it's actually not the case that um, that um, that the fact that they're that they're doing that is um, uh, you know making the money disappear, right? Like they're spending that uh, the money that they have saved in taxes, they're spending elsewhere, like investing in stock or whatever it is that they're doing with it. And that leads to the creation of capital goods, which is overall also a benefit to society. And so the actual comparison you'd have to do is like, you, you'd have to compare all of the things that the money would have been spent on by the tax authorities versus what they actually ended up spending the money on. Mm, right. But it is um, one of those things where they basically denied that money to the tax authorities. And you know this person could then turn around and, and blow it all on hookers, cocaine, and a super yacht. Um, whereas the, the tax the tax authority might have gone, okay, well, you know what, actually, we we prefer to you know build a school or a road, um, and and that kind of same argument could be made about absolutely anything. At the end of the day, um, if I owe you um, as uh, you know, let's say you did some work for me, um, I don't know, let's say you're a plumber. Sorry to demote you that much, Matthias, but let's just say, for example, and I sort of say, oh, yeah, you know. That would be a bad choice. I'm a shit plumber, so <laughs> but go on. Well, hey, hey, maybe maybe you get in there and you do a shit job for me um, or, or whatever it might be. And I find some technicality where I go, actually, I don't really need to pay you for the work that you've done. Um, but it's okay, though. It's okay because I'm still going to spend that extra money that I'm not paying you. And, uh, you know, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and... Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go and buy myself a new Rolex or whatever it might be uh, instead of paying you. But it's okay because, you know, that, that's that's going to employ some some jeweler somewhere or it's going to employ a watchmaker and that watchmaker's, you know, it'll get circulated. Two things. One, you're getting real close to sounding like a Keynesian there, mate. Yes, and I'm, I'm scared for you. Um, but two, <laughs> you, to your follow that, hey, maybe um, the government provides a service, we should pay for that service, denying the government money for that service um, is, is akin to, to effectively, you know, maybe you stealing. No, I mean, again, that assumes that the money is the government's. I mean, in the case that you're giving here where you're refusing to pay somebody for work that you've agreed through a contract uh, for them to do, like if I'm doing plumbing work for you and you don't pay me, I mean, that that's breaking a contract. But that's not that's not the case with the government. There's no, I mean, I know I know social contract theory and, you know, tacit consent and that whole argument, but I mean, if you want, we can go into homesteading and where private property rights come from and all of this. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, ultimately, it. these two things are not comparable. But yeah, do you and, see... and, uh... Sorry, go ahead, Peter. Oh, yeah, I was just going to ask Matthias then. So do you see, like, let's say all the public works that have been done like previously, do you, do you not feel like that any of your money should go towards their maintenance, for example? Which is going to be done by the government, not by the private sector. I think they should be privatized, and those people who use it should pay for the maintenance of them. Do you think that would be acceptable to most people, though? They suddenly see more road tolls and stuff like that. Oh, they're already paying for it. Yeah, I, I don't see the difference really. I mean, it. The, it, like the example was also used in the video about Singapore's model, right? Um, and I, I fundamentally, I think that's that's fairer. Yeah. yeah. You should be paying for what yeah. you're using. 
and yeah. you shouldn't be paying for what you're not using. There, I, think, I mean, it would be a. I understand the argument that you also made in the video where you say, well, you know, there's some people that can't afford cars in Singapore because it's so expensive and so on. Yeah, that's that's going to be the case, but um, um, that uh, leads them to make other decisions, like maybe I'm going to take mass transit instead. And uh, if they do that, then there's going to be more investment in mass mass transit, and maybe maybe that's the most efficient way to allocate capital. Yeah, yeah, nice. centralization. Um, so yeah, uh, don't you think we're going too theoretical? Says Fake Snake. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's one of those things where you, uh, if you are arguing a, an idea as as broad and almost as as universally accepted as taxation, uh, it's really important to take things to the nth degree. Um, you know, when when we're kind of looking at, you know, how how any alternatives would play out, um, and and. To, to everyone's point, um, for a lot of issues, I I am you know here playing devil's advocate on uh, you know <laughs> there's a lot of things that Matthias and I disagree on, and a lot of things that we agree on, uh, and it's certainly one where you know in these, in these kind of cases, um, I think you're absolutely right. Now, um, I'm I'm cognizant of the time, and I want to get to a few more bits and pieces. So um, I think. Uh, this was a, a fantastic segue into the sense that we were already half talking about Singapore. Um, so let's discuss that. Current tax-free nations or nations that have uh, tax models that aren't sort of just a blanket, you earn this much, you pay this much, um, or like, you know, a pay-to-use kind of system maybe is like a, a halfway house between, um, you know, anarcho-capitalism um, and, you know, most kind of, modern day developed countries that we have today so i'll go on from the example of um you know singapore um you know its roads and and in, you know that kind of infrastructure is, is funded directly by the fact that hey to be honest um we pay that the people that register cars in singapore they pay an absolute shit ton for it unbelievably expensive you know $120,000 for a really really basic car and you know there are ongoing expenses to keep it on road that are um, you know almost at the level of being completely unattainable to the average person but the benefit there is um, hey you know you don't have to pay income taxes so maybe you have a little bit more money left over to actually sort of put towards bits and pieces like you know paying $120,000 for a car um, and then the other thing of course is um, it has a social benefit of limiting actual cars on the road to people that really, really need to be driving cars um, and also only charging people for um, the utility that they are using. Now, um, does anyone does anyone disagree uh, with the model that Singapore has for, um, for charging people for, for how they use their cars? I think it's mm -hmm. the way I... I mean, the way I see it, it's, it's somewhat of a luxury that Singapore has. I'm not sure if it's necessarily a luxury that uh, larger nations could sort of afford, and, es and especially given um, you know, the, like, the inertia um, and especially how hard it is to change tax codes and the like. Um, they, from what I've seen in my readings, and stuff, taxes tend to just get more complex <laughs> over time rather than simpler. Um, and so I wonder if it's something like, you know, if a country like the U.S., if, if it's even like possible, um, like you know, in any meaningful time frame, uh, like even or even a country like Australia, 
uh, if something like that is possible, even like even if it is desirable, if it's possible uh, to do in a sort of feasible time frame, given like how much, how many people like currently just earn their living off, like the way the tax system is currently structured, um, and a lot of that would change if the tax system or tax structure was changed. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Forms impossible that they would just eat add more taxes on top of the existing ones. Yeah, and I think it, it's um, I think Peter had a really fantastic yeah, a fantastic point that yeah, it's one of those things that's uh, taxes get 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 more complicated rather than than simple more simple um, over time um, just because you know we patch loopholes and we fix up things and we add things that we think are smart but um, there's not a lot of people there with a, a dustpan and broom to sweep up taxes that are old and outdated um, which is where we get to yeah, loopholes and all that sort of stuff and perhaps that's by design but of course there's yeah. lobbying too of course, of course. And, and that's why I'm saying that, you know, sometimes these back doors are, are left there intentionally because, you know, the people that write the laws are, are the ones that are going to take advantage of it. But um, I think um, I would actually argue um, that Singapore's model for, um, for cars is, is absolutely perfect. For a few reasons. Perfect just maybe overstating. A strong, it. strong, strong word, but but far, yeah. far better than what we have at the it's moment. It's far superior anyway to what most countries have. Because I mean, I the, the of... costs to the American taxpayer in maintaining the road system in the U.S. is just absolutely immense. And I think yeah. a, a big part of the reason that we've had, like in the U.S., that they've had the urban sprawl and all of these things is exactly because the, the, you've subsidized roads so much in the U.S. that you've incentivized that. Is also why mass transit, for example, has totally failed in the U.S. It's also what killed the the rail network. Uh, like, there's a lot of uh, of unseen um, consequences of of that uh, policy that, uh, that the U.S. has been leading. Yeah, I could tell you from firsthand experience that um, not only is it very frustrating seeing, uh, you know, and oftentimes you see uh, road workers take much longer than they should, and I know this because. Um, typically when I take a toll road, the time it takes for them to repair maybe a pothole or, um, you know, part of the road or maybe expand the road, it takes far less time than it does for conventional, you know, taxpayer funded roads. Um, and, you know, I think that a lot of that goes into the bidding process in terms of how they find who they're going to employ to fix the road. But yeah, I completely agree with Matthias. There's, there's a lot of problems with our public road infrastructure for sure. I think the biggest one is that is disincentivizing mass transit because that that has externalities beyond just you know convenience and uh, economic efficiency as well. There's huge environmental uh, consequences of of that decision, right? Oh yeah, pollution kills a lot of people around the world each year. It's, I believe uh, it's about a hundred thousand people that die from pollution-related pollution. um, uh, diseases just in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that. And yeah, and, and you're right um, that, especially, yeah, especially like the, the urban sprawl and stuff, it's incentivized. Um, you know, you're a developer, uh, you're incentivized to build like that. And so that's what you do, of course. Um, and zero, you hmm? zero pricing also causes congestion, right? Because you cannot uh, change the price uh, with demand. Yeah, now I think um, one, one of the things that I really... Um, really like about this is is we've kind of touched on it, but 
Um, obviously, um, it, it's one of those things where let's let's take myself as an example. Um, realistically, unless a country like the United States, there'd probably still be an income tax, but um, but infrastructure spending on on roads and 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 things like that is. Um, you know, going to take a significant portion of that. So perhaps we were able to reduce income taxes or at least, you know, use income taxes in something else that would, um, you know, be more more conducive to producing social benefit um, for society at, at large. Um, and then really, um, really sort of hone down on those people that actually do need to use cars, right? But one of the big things that I really wanted to, to sort of focus on here um, is how it kind of, uh, in a sense, kind of closes a lot of loopholes. Now, um, people get very, very angry at companies like Amazon um, for having, you know, high growth-based models where, you know, everything's reinvested back into research and development or operations within the business to expand and grow. And, and that means that they don't pay a lot of tax. It means that they don't make profit, but they don't pay a lot of tax. Um, but, you know, simultaneously, they become the largest company in the entire world. Now, um, on an individual level, we can agree or disagree with whether that's right or morally objectionable. There are definitely passionate advocates on either side of that debate. But if we were to take this hypothetical uh, and say that uh, registering in a vehicle in the United States would be similar to registering a vehicle in Singapore, let's, let's look at some takeaways here. Amazon, which has one of the largest distribution networks in the entire world, um, you know, has cars and trucks and vans and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, sending packages all over the world or, you know, at least sending packages through uh, other distribution networks. Uh, I'm actually not sure. Amazon's not super big here in Australia. Do they send it through like UPS or FedEx or uh, I know some of that they, they do through their own drivers and things like that, but what's their primary channel for, for home delivery? Someone American, please help. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're asking Amazon's primary channel for home delivery? Yeah, yeah. Does it throw so, a lot? Um, it, for, for the longest time, it was for the through the United States Postal Service, um, yeah. and, I, and I only know that because I remember the president being very unhappy about how uh, Amazon got you know an extraordinary deal, and you know the United States Postal Service was has never been profitable. Um, so I, I think, uh, but that I think that's for most of the transit. But there is the uh, the last mile uh, thing where. They've slowly taken out uh, the United States Postal Service and uh, done that themselves, where they'll have like the uh, Amazon cargo vans that um, do the, do the last mile delivery themselves. So that, I think that's completely vertically integrated now, um, and right. even I think part on, on part of the front end too, um, from delivering to the distribution centers, that also might be uh, vertically integrated. So uh, cool. they might be doing all of that under the roof. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so that's a, a whole different kettle of fish that I've just opened there with uh, a whole other can of worms that I've opened with uh, maybe the USPS uh, subsidizing Amazon. But let's just take a generic company then. Maybe I got too clever for myself. Um, you know that, that that you know has trucks and all that sort of stuff going. Now, um, if we have a, a company that doesn't pay any taxes because they have a, an Amazon-based model where they you know just grow, grow, grow at all costs. Um, sort of deal, but they're still, you know, they're still using our infrastructure. They're still running their trucks all over the road and they're still taking advantage of, you know, what this fantastic, sorry, society has given them um, and they're not paying their share of it because they're not paying corporate tax. So if we had a Singapore-based model, if they wanted to register their trucks, they would have to pay a shit ton for them 
which means that they can't get away with effectively leveraging society for all it has to offer uh, without giving back to it just through creative accounting. Uh, and that's why I think it's fair. Now, a lot of people will say, yeah, isn't this fantastic? It's it's from a, you know, laissez-faire capitalist sort of point of view. It's like you get what you pay for. But I actually sort of say almost on the opposite, um, people pay for what they're using, which I think is the big takeaway from it there. Um, so I'm not sure. Does anyone disagree with that? And, and sorry, it took me so long to get to that point. But, yeah. No, I, 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 in my opinion, I think that's a, a, a very strong model. I do think kind of going back to the... Uh, and you might have opened the can of worms and I'm going to pursue it. Um, that is the, uh, the idea that, okay, great. Um, that's that I'm sure that's how, uh, uh, how they treat it. But if I'm Amazon and I'm looking at my income statement now, I'm going to say, look, I could save a lot more money registering these vehicles by uh, getting an awesome, awesome shipping agreement with um, the United States Postal Service, which uh, is subsidized by the government anyway. So I don't have to pay for the registration on the vehicles. I don't have to pay for the vehicles. I'm just going to go through the United States Postal Service and use use the benefits of the government anyway. Yep, yeah, I was about I think, to say that as well. So yeah, I mean, could potentially now. just exacerbate the problem as long as uh, the United States Post Postal Service exists. Yeah, and then uh, look, obviously we can we can we can extrapolate and say um, this is this is an example of a company using public goods for their own private benefit without contributing anything back to it. Uh, maybe in the same way that it costs a lot more to register um, a car to use public roads, it, it costs a lot more to send a, a letter to use the public postal service. You know, we can sort of extend this out to all the services of the government. Uh, but yeah, you know, obviously to, to chase our tails, that would mean that we kind of go to a more pay per use model. And I think I would, I, I, well, I but with, with how incompetent government is, I, I, I have, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I fundamentally don't disagree that that it would be ideal if that was the case. I just don't have faith that the government is going to be implementing that, like especially because of um, uh, special interest groups. I just, I, I think it's just going to be, you know, changing the game into a new kind of way to exploit it, um, and it, it doesn't fix the fundamental problem, which is that there is such a thing as public goods. Like yeah. I, I think, I think the um, the ideal way to solve the tragedy of the commons problem and you know, free rider problems and so on is, is just to privatize everything. Yeah. All right. So that will will segue us because we, we can probably go back and forth with that a lot. And, and I would even I would even argue that perhaps um, this is an easier way. It's like if it's transactional, if it's like, hey, you want to use roads, you register your vehicle, you pay this. Uh, maybe it's easier to to um, maybe it's easier to enforce, or maybe I have too much faith in our governments, but. Uh, I do want to get on to the big ticket topic for tonight, just as we're going over an hour here, which is um, anarcho-capitalism. Now, I, I, I could do this topic justice, and, and obviously I've sort of given my thoughts on it in the video, um, and I think it's it's one of those really uh, unbelievably interesting sort of uh, case studies to look at and to really sort of grapple with. But I want to give it to Matthias. Give us your elevator pitch uh, for anarcho-capitalism. Um, I mean that that's probably going to take too long. Uh, no, no, take all what, the time. Do... Take all the time you need. Take all the time you need. A long uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I want to go back to the first. You know, the first question you asked, where I, I said it depends, and the reason I said it depends is that in a lot of countries, I actually don't believe that it's possible to implement anarcho-capitalism at least yet. Um, there, there are several um, requirements that are uh, absolutely necessary for anarcho-capitalism to even function. Uh, 
Uh, one of them being that uh, the nation can't be too big. So like um, <clears throat> if we were to take the US, I don't think it's possible to implement anarcho-capitalism in the US. But in a small nation like uh, Liechtenstein or Monaco or something like this, it's more possible. Or even Denmark, where it's only, we're talking like five and a half million uh, citizens. And it, one of the reasons for that is um, uh, cultural homogeneity that I, I mentioned earlier. I, I think um, you need to have a high trust society for this uh, to, be, to be possible to implement. Um, because uh, fundamentally what we're talking about with anarcho-capitalism, uh, at least the Hoppian uh, vision of it, if I was to give it, uh, you know, like an elevator pitch, the, the idea is not to do away with governance. The idea is not to go away with, uh, to, um, to not have, uh, you know, uh, any social welfare net or any, any of these things. Like we, we all recognize that this is um, something that's necessary for a stable society. So it, I think people often think that anarcho-capitalists disagree with them on a lot more things than we actually do. Like the only thing that, that Hoppians want is just to have competition in these services. Um, all we want is, um, for example, for, for the legal system, instead of there being a monopoly on that, that you have multiple companies. And, and this is where the cultural homogeneity and the high social trust becomes really important because uh, when you have multiple different court systems, and mo multiple enforcers of the law, you need high social trust for that not to break down into, you know, uh, warlording and, and all of that stuff, right? Uh, so I would say true anarcho-capitalists, uh, the ones that have actually thought it through, they're, they're a lot more boring than you think they are. <laughs> Yeah, and, and obviously people have this idea of, oh, my God, it's gonna, we're going to have, like, some Jeff Bezos is going to turn into, like, the emperor of the universe and he's just going to rule over us with, like, um, you know, sitting at sitting atop his, like, uh, tower and everyone's basically going to devolve into, you know, these capitalist slaves, um, which is, yeah, of course, not, not, um, not the reality. Now, would you argue that, look, let's say we did embrace it, um, and you kind of already alluded to it with, with size, um, and, and, you know, you know, homogeneity and, and, and making sure that people are homogenous and making sure that people sort of uh, trust one another and, and maybe sort of um, kind of looking to the sort of their community. Do you think uh, it's one of those things that if it did sort of slowly take, take over and, and let's say it took over um, in the United States, it would mean that, you know, we're just maybe breaking up into, you know, counties or, um, you know, states the size of the states, the size of counties and, um, you know, groups like that. Do, do, do you see that kind of a, as a potential reality? Or how would that sort of work? Um, not within my lifetime. Um, but if we were to take it to the nth degree, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, if you split up the communities into, you know, small sections that are culturally homogenous to a point where they fundamentally agree about legal standards in their communities, yeah. uh, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have competition in law. Like right. if, if all the courts fundamentally agree about like if you, you know, it, it's it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to murder, like all of those are the simple ones, right? But if they also agree about regulations, like how do we deal with pollution? How do we deal with um, like X, Y, and C? Uh, if, if they fundamentally agree about most of those legal standards to a point where any disagreement between the different uh, providers of law and enforcers of law uh, are quite minimal, um, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have competition in it. 
But okay. as soon as you get to a point where you disagree about something that's important enough that it can call a cause, you know, social strife like we're seeing in the US right now, anarcho-capitalism can't deal with that. Right. So so to the extent of, let's say, something like, um, you know, and, and who would be responsible in this kind of situation for creating new laws? Obviously, in most countries around the world, or at least most developed countries, it's, you know, it's parliament and then a Senate and, and it's signed into law by the head of state. Um, but for this kind of, if we're talking about, uh, let's say, four or five um, corporations that handle, um, you know, at, the, at least the enforcement or the regulation of laws, uh, would they be also responsible for creating or dismissing new laws? Yes. Okay. And then in the same sort of environment, um, let's let's take a like a fringe issue. Um, now, uh, obviously, if we use a, a small a small nation like Liechtenstein as our example, and I think that's that's probably um, the best place to start because obviously, uh, one, it's a country that we've we've explored recently on the channel. So for my own sh shameless uh, plug, um, we'll go with Liechtenstein, um, and then. Um, also, I think it's a model that you've sort of said that, that would work well in a country like that, uh, or at least it ha would have a better chance of working in a country like that. Now, what happens if we're looking at the issue of, um, let's, let's take a sort of somewhat divisive issue like drug use. Uh, let's say if two out of the five corporations there agreed that, uh, you know, uh, cannabis is, is legal to smoke or, or use recreationally in public, um, and then the other three corporations didn't agree with that. Uh, what would happen if someone was smoking up in, in the middle of Liechtenstein? Well, I mean, the, the first mistake you're making is to think that there would be such a thing as public, because the whole premise of this um, thought experiment is that there is no such thing as public. There's only private. Right. Um, so what you'd materially have is, um, like, let, let's assume that uh, that law enforcement was based on an insurance structure. So you, you have, as a property owner, you hire an insurance company that provides property insurance. Yep. And uh, that's how you pay for the law enforcement, right? Then yep. you could have, um, like, it's, you, you, if you look, like, top down on one of these societies, it would essentially it would be like a patchwork of different legal providers where each of the property owners decide um, what company to hire and thus what the, the rule of law is like on their private property. Um, so you could have, you know, part of that society where it's okay, and yep. part of the society is not okay. So if I hypothetically had my house insured by um, an insurer that said, no, it is not okay to smoke um, you know, smoke weed, and I did, I would be um, in, in breach of, of their laws. Yes. Um, and what would that mean for me? Uh, they could arrest me and, and they could, um, you know, sort of punish me. Yep. Okay. And then hypothetically, if I did want to change providers, change insurance providers, it would be the same way, it would be effectively the same as um, change, uh, changing insurance. Like changing an ISP or whatever, you know, like right. you're hiring right. a new company. Yeah. yeah. And they could, live, they could live in tandem with one another. Yeah. I yeah. mean, as long as uh, they agree about the things where there can be disagreements between um, uh uh, between um, people in the society, right. um, like important things, you know, like things that can cause uh, social unrest. So yeah. uh, that, like that, that's where you can't have disagreements, right? If there's yeah. disagreements on that level, you're going to have to split the society into two. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to have violence. Yeah, yeah, which obviously not conducive to building a good, strong, um, you know, system. Now, 
the next thing that I'll look at is is obviously um, you know even even amidst relatively homogenous societies like let's say Liechtenstein or, or Denmark or Norway or whatever it might be, uh, you know there there are still sort of obviously divides between you know old, young, rich, poor, um, whatever it may be. Now, what would happen if, say, I was in a house and my house is insured by um, a, a provider of these services, legal services, and I was basically having a rave um, and I had loud music going 24-7, um, you know, but we, but, but it's okay because we had uh, Allianz insurance instead of Geico insurance and Allianz said, you know, party up, smoke up, do drugs, it's all good. Um, we don't have any laws specifically forbidding that. Um, but my neighbours, they were with uh, Geico, and Geico sort of said, oh, no, 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 we're, you know, we're in bed by 11 o'clock and, um, you know, no, no drugs or anything like that. Obviously, there's some overflow between that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, would you see that as something that would be crippling to this kind of system where, hey, you know, maybe those people are just not compatible to live, um, you know, in, in parallel with one another? Uh, or would there be an answer to that kind of, well, I suppose we're, we're touching on an externality now, that that noise is, is an externality. Yeah, so <clears throat> the way that this sort of thing would have to be dealt with is um, um, uh, cooperation between uh, the two companies. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that they're directly negotiating it could also be a case of you know that you have um uh, a third party that's negotiating between the two or judging between the two saying well this is how it's going to be um when you have disagreements between these two companies but that that would all obviously be the case in some cases um and the, then you can ask like well what if geico doesn't want to cooperate with Allianz or whatever way around well, in that case, it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to do their job for their clients, right? If you, um, if every time um, that Geico um, needs to arrest somebody from Allianz, for example, um, if Allianz is saying like, "No, we're not going to uh, going to allow you to to arrest our client," in that case, then uh, corp when cooperation breaks down between them, they're not going to be able to do their jobs in all of the other things where they need to do it. So like they have a, a heavy incentive just to be able to provide the um, uh, law enforcement services to their own clients. They have a heavy incentive to cooperate with the others. And it, and it might be a case of like, let's say that the entire neighborhood almost is uh, Allianz based and they're all ravers. And there's this one old couple, like 90, years, 90 year old couple that's living in an apartment in the middle of it. Um, maybe it'll be the cheapest solution for uh, Allianz to just say, look, we're, we're going to give you a hundred thousand. Um, and we're also going to buy the property off of the hands of, of these people. And then, you know, they need to move, you know, somewhere else where we don't have this, uh, this conflict. I mean, there, there's, there's many ways that you can, can solve situations like that. Yeah. Do you foresee, um, situations where perhaps Allianz and stuff with that would carve out a specific territory and say, um, Hey, you know, we, we own this sort of land. Uh, no Geico customers within a, you know, th this kind of geographical area. That could happen, yeah. And okay. eventually, I, I also recognize that eventually if um, uh, if certain events play out, it, it's possible that uh, an area turns into a de facto city-state. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and that's you're, possible you're eventually, in, right? Your insurance but, premiums just kind of become taxes by, by lack of a better way of naming Well, them. not really taxes because now we're, what we're talking about is, uh, and th this is one of the things I actually wanted to get to with, um, uh, like you made a comment in the video saying, well, this is basically um, taxes with or state with extra steps. 
yeah you actually have to 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 understand what we're talking about here you have to go down into how is it that that uh, private property comes to be what is the the moral justification for property um and there there's um the way that that anarcho-capitalists look at it there's three ways that you can acquire property justly uh, the the first one is is through homesteading which um uh, you know, it is land that's not used by anybody. That's not private property. It's just you know unused land that you. Um, it's basically the Lockean conception of, of homesteading, if you know it, where you mix your labor with the land, and now the land land becomes your private property. Um, the two other ways is through trade. So if I if I buy a piece of property from you, it becomes morally mine. And the third way is through gifting. So if uh, you want to give land to me, for example, then that's also a moral way to do it. Conquest is not a moral way to acquire land. And this is the primary um, um, the primary reason that anarcho-capitalists uh, disagree with the way that the world is set up right now. And this is why we call taxation theft, because the way that the property has been acquired was not moral. Um, so when we get to the point where uh, we're talking about a city-state where people have signed a contract and said, yeah, we want to pay a fee and we're okay with you changing the, the rate of that fee to whatever you like and so on. I don't know why somebody would agree with that unless it's like a really terrible situation, right? But it's, it's, it's conceivable that it could be such a situation. So um, I, here, here's, here's my follow-up question. It's, um, where, where, I suppose, where does this end? Because let's say Allianz purchases... Uh, you know, they have one particular square and they end up expanding. And by, by the time, let's say 20, 50 years has passed, they own pretty much every single part of, of, of let's say, a, a territory. Um, and, and they are they, they effectively uh, are in control of that entire area. And um, everyone is paying to them. And their CEO, his first name is, let's say, Tim, middle name is Zhang and last name ends up saying, you know what? I mean, I own a monopoly on, on this place that used to be competitive in terms of ideas, in terms of law enforcement, in terms of zoning. Uh, I'm just going to uh, de determine how the you know, I'm, cost of labor is going to be as cheap as possible. Um, you know, rights are going to get stripped away. And if anybody wants to complain, I'm going to shut them down. Where do you draw the line and how do you prevent that from happening? Well, ultimately, the consumers are going to have to prevent that from happening the same way that uh, citizens in a country have to prevent that from happening with nation states. I don't see it as any different. But I also, I'm, I'm also not going to say that it's impossible because obviously it's not impossible. The same way that it's not impossible for a European country to turn a Nazi like in the 30s, right? Like that can happen. Right. It's possible. Right. Now, my, my final question um, for this as well is... Um, Let's say we we have someone that's that's very much um, you know um, besides the hesitation that I do to to pass all of our all of the the power in the world over to insurance companies of all things um, as horrific as that sounds you know uh, I'm not in opposition to anything that you've necessarily said um, thus far um, but what would we do in the the hypothetical where um, someone just doesn't want to pay this insurance. You know, he's right there in the middle of, of this sort of thing and he's just like, no, nah, um, I'm not, not taking part in it. I'm just going to be my own little independent agent. Um, how would that sort of play out? 
depends a lot in what area we're talking about. If we're talking in Somalia, then that might be a really bad idea. But if we're talking, um, you know, in, in some uh, remote area in Denmark, like in the countryside, then it probably doesn't matter. Right. Okay. And then, and, and then let's, let's say it's sort of, um, let's take Liechtenstein, you know, obviously a relatively peaceful country and, and let's say it maintains that. And most people are relatively wealthy and respectable and, um, and, you know, that, that, that's sort of how, how it is. Um, but let's say that this person, um, you know, lives, lives in the middle of the city. Um, you know, let's say they're a relatively wealthy individual. Um, they have, uh, or let's say they, they live just sort of just outside the city. Sorry. Um, they, they're a relatively wealthy individual. They're on a, a large estate. Um, they can grow their own food. Um, they can generate their own power. They kind of have everything that they need to be relatively self-sufficient. And occasionally they can, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're still able to, you know, sort of trade with partners or, or pay people to have, you know, them bring goods in or, or whatever it may be. Um, now, in, in that kind of situation, um, do you do you foresee a reality where perhaps um, people would just storm their gates and steal their shit because, you know, they're not insured? There's no one really there to enforce the law against them. Do you think the insurance companies that cover other people would would expressly forbid that? Um, again, depends on the situation, but in Liechtenstein, I certainly think so. Yeah, okay. and I also don't think that neighbor, like even let's assume that there's like a whole neighborhood that doesn't have any insurance. Um, I mean, the, what happened in Liechtenstein, for example, when the when the Nazis tried to take power in Liechtenstein, uh, was that all the farmers grabbed their rifles and and went and like picked up the I think it was ten or eleven Nazis and just took them and and threw them uh, threw them out of the country. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it it depends on the situation, but um, I mean, one of the historical examples that is used a lot by anarcho-capitalists is the Republic of Genoa, because they were essentially um, this sort of country for about 520 years yeah. uh, from 1100 to like 1625 or something like that um and the the primary law enforcement was basically local militias during that entire time also the primary national defense by the way and right. it wasn't until you had a coalition including france and, and spain that they actually lost and like at that time, they were so powerful in terms of banking. Like it, they're not really remembered that much anymore. It's mostly Venice and and Florence that you remember when you're talking about medieval Italy. <clears throat> but Genoa was, um, for most right of that time, there. were more powerful than both of them. Yeah. Um, the, most yeah. of the wars in southern Europe, they um, if you didn't have funding from a Genoese banker, you couldn't go to war. So that, like they had immense amount of soft power as well and and they also projected their power both uh, i think they're actually one of the first countries that really understood how to project power geoeconomically um yeah like so, they were extremely powerful and now 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 to circle back to to um this example of this this rich guy that lives on the just outside of the like let's say a a, a major sort of suburban area and, and all that sort of stuff uh, and you're saying in Liechtenstein that that these insurance companies would would forbid people from going and storming his gates and stealing his shit. Um, yeah, it's and, bad for business, right? Bad for business. Now, what's to stop someone seeing that and going, "Hey, you know, this guy's self-sufficient. Um, you know, no one's storming his gates and stealing his shit. Maybe I should just stop paying my insurance premiums because, you know, I I kind of benefit from the collective." 
um, I kind of benefit from the collective protection that these insurance companies are providing and I can kind of do that without actually having to pay for it. You beauty. Yeah, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, that that might happen, and and then uh, eventually you're going to have um, some um, some local um, like some Romas that move into the local area and start uh, breaking into people's housing and stealing their TVs, and then people realize, oh shit, like we probably need to do some more security. So then maybe they'll do neighborhood watches, or they'll start buying some at least some basic insurance that. Uh, uh, you know, makes an insurance company send um, like surveillance drones out and maybe also stench, uh, station a couple of gun drones that they can send up if there's uh, uh, like ro- armed romas that are like that start bringing guns to rob people and so on. So, so you're not saying it's um, so you're not saying it's 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 that the people that are insured, it's like a, an outside force would be what eventually forces them into it. Um, yeah. Okay. And then there, would there be any way for these these hypothetical um, armed, aggressive uh, people from from outside to distinguish between who is insured by Allianz and who isn't. Not really, would unless they, they can get Allianz to tell them, right? <laughs> and, and you think maybe, maybe <laughs> Allianz would? Maybe Allianz would be like, oh, yeah, these these are the people that are or aren't, and um, or something like that. Would be one hell um, of a marketing strategy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, get, get, get insured that, or. But... Yeah, getting short I, or, I think or, like or... if we assume that the community is quite homogeneous, uh, um, like quite homogenous, I think the people that actually have hired Allianz, if they see like Allianz getting uh, like marauders to go into the local community <laughs> and like uh, steal from the people that aren't paying them, and like those people are not going to be very happy with Allianz, and they're probably going to find somebody else to service them. But so, well, this again, become, why you know it eventually it's quite into important. a protection racket, yeah. Well, I, I, this is why it's quite important that the local community is pretty homogenous, right? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But effectively, what I'm sort of asking is, um, you know, obviously there, there's there's benefit from having you know this this force at play that protects people from from each other and also protects them from outside forces. Um, but there's no specific advantage to actually paying for that because you kind of get it by default for everyone else around you paying for it. Um, people. I mean, Sorry, there is ahead, a specific Rafi. advantage in that, um, uh, like, as soon as there's not enough people paying for it, you're going to start having an increase in crime. Uh, right. And I think, right. especially the rich people that have a lot of property to lose, are going to be the ones that'll want to pay for it. Right, but but you're making the assumption there that people, um, you know. Uh, it, it's like it's one of those examples where it's like, oh, well, someone else will do it, and why would I be the sucker that actually foots the bill for this? You know, when when I could kind of just hope uh, that you know some other sucker will will do it. But um, as soon as you've had theft from your property, it's pretty clear that um, that like I like most people, yeah, even like even under a state, right? We we had a lot of store robberies in Denmark. And now most stores in Copenhagen have uh, 3GS uh, security in their stores. There was also some neighborhoods in, uh, you know, surrounding the areas where there were, were a lot of uh, Muslim immigrants that started having uh, problems with theft. Um, and they, they also hired private security. Right. Uh, so, okay. And the same thing is also the case in South Africa, where it's really extreme, right? Now in South Africa, there's more private security personnel than there is both military personnel and police. 
Yeah. Yeah. Also, well, fingers tried. crossed. Obviously, this this hypothetical society doesn't end up like South Africa. I, I wouldn't see that as a positive outcome. But uh, but yeah, I can see what you're saying. Sorry, Rafi. Um, no, my, go ahead. my point is just that it also happens in states. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it actually that, that did happen in Detroit, where you have a lot of private security now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's some statistic that um, that there's more private security in in America than than um, police. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's true. Uh, Matthias, I, I do have a, another question about kind of the, this hypothetical society we're building. Um, it kind of reminds me, it brings me back to early American history where there was a conflict of whether or not states should have the ultimate authority individually or whether or not it should be one centralized government. So I want to play out like a, a hypothetical for you. Um, let, let's say that states ended up getting that ultimate authority, right? And, uh, you know, instead of, let, let, let's, for the sake of this conversation, let's call these states, um, you know, instead of New York, we're going to call it New York LLC. We're going to call it Louisiana is an S Corp. Uh, we're going to say that uh, Texas ended up also being an LLC. And instead of a uh, tax expense, we're going to call it an insurance expense. Um, I guess, I guess what's the, maybe in terms of if we structured the, uh, in the, the taxes in a different way, what, what, what are the primary differences then, um, then, kind of the hypothetical that you're positing well it um, basically it comes down to the definition of the state the okay. um, for anarcho-capitalists the the definition of a state is um, a, um, a monopoly on ultimate decision making right. um, so the example that you're describing here <clears throat> where corporations have a, a territorial monopoly on ultimate decision making like I don't know um, Detroit Corp or whatever has a monopoly inside of Detroit that that is states um what we're talking about when we're talking private law society is what's called polycentrism so instead of um inside of one territory only having one company then you have competition between multiple providers of security for example or um like either external or internal or um the creation of law right that's the primary difference okay so and and here's my other question is um, just thinking about it from a, a corporate standpoint, if you're the CEO of let's say Allianz, right, and the um, you know the police force is, is is kind of at your leisure. So, if if I wanted to do something illegal as the CEO of uh, Allianz, what what exactly is stopping me? Because if I get put in handcuffs, then I'll just fire whoever is putting me in handcuffs. Well, first of all, you're making the assumption that the CEO is the owner of the company there, um, where it would probably be the shareholders. I'm sorry, let's assume that it's the owner. Okay, so, um, well, what what you're saying is basically that they'll they'll do something illegal against their own clients, because if they're doing it against like a company, like a different company, obviously, that's going to cause conflict. But if it's against their own clients, what's going to happen is they'll lose clients. Yeah. I mean, if you're not going to want to hire, like you're not going to be, want to pay the company and hire, you know, a security company that that has a CEO that's going around, uh, you know, raping your daughter. Right. right. Or even somebody else's daughter. I, I, I think I think then an important thing to add would be that you could move freely amongst the individual territories. Uh, well, you're, you're thinking of the insurance companies' areas as their territory, but that's not what it is, right? 
they're just being hired by private property owners to protect that territory. They, they could theoretically coexist. You know, you could have someone, you know, insured by Allianz next to someone insured by Geico next to someone insured by, I don't know, whatever other generic uh, insurance like, companies know. exist out there in the world. Uh, yeah, I, it's I, known I, as, as patchwork. Yeah, and I think... Um, Weirdly enough, um, and this is just because I'm I'm a, I'm a huge nerd, and obviously uh, anyone that's watched the channel for long enough will know uh, I love this. And I wish we had Captain Locke on here to talk about it. Uh, weirdly enough, I think uh, actual genuine example sort of almost exists of this, uh, not in the real world today, um, but in the virtual world, and that that would be Eve Online, um, in the sense that you know there are obviously groups and institutions within this game, um, you know, all vying for for ultimate kind of that they want wealth and you know to do well by the people that, that make up you know corporations uh, within the game and, and people are members of specific corporations but they do exist you know sort of um, geographically at least in and amongst one another um, there are areas that are defined by a specific corporation and anyone else that that's not part of that corporation will be well in the game you know shot um, which I'm hoping is not what we're advocating for in uh, in, in any other example but um, but for a majority of the game, most people sort of exist into these specific corporations and they, they coexist. And obviously there are instances where these uh, two, two things will, will, you know, butt heads, but for the most part, it is sort of peacefully um, working towards a common goal. So uh, perhaps it's become a, a, perhaps it's a little bit more easy, more easy, easier for me to sort of visualize this reality, but it is something that um, whether you agree with it or, or disagree with it. And, and honestly, I, I, for, um, a lot of the reasons, specifically around how to roll it out and uh, how unstable it would make it, I, I think I'd probably probably disagree with it. Um, it is something that's really so important to make sure that you understand what it is that, and not dismiss it entirely because uh, there's a lot of genuine benefits that can be had from this. So I think it's really important. And hopefully, uh, thanks, Matthias. And I hope it wasn't, um, you weren't taking this as, as us attacking you, but actually sort of potentially giving you a platform to ask. No, I enjoy it. Um, yeah, yeah, I enjoy that, answering this. Yeah, yeah that, that, that people are sort of asking in the, the YouTube comment section there and, and, and obviously giving you a platform to, to answer the questions that, that seem logical to ask. Uh, now, the last one that I will ask before um, we sort of wrap this kind of all up is, um, there is some kind of benefit from from kind of a critical mass, uh, and and you've made the point um, that you don't see it working on a scale like the United States, uh, for example. Um, but you know, just earlier this week, we saw um, you know uh, SpaceX take uh, people to the International Space Station and. Um, and it was fantastic. You know, it was an amazing accomplishment. And I, I tuned in because I'm a huge space nerd and, and I really loved it. But um, a lot of that, for, a lot of the groundwork for that research was done by, you know, um, federal agencies, you know, NASA, obviously, is the big one that we point our finger at there. Um, if we sort of move to a society that's much more compartmentalized, uh, you know, sort of working of, of smaller, um, you know, institutions or entities that, you know, hey, maybe might you know, sort of have some advantages there at that small level. Uh, do you think we would hypothetically forego these um, these examples of, of massive um, collaborative efforts that aren't necessarily something that we would individually elect to to support, um, but you know, on a on a large level, sort of does provide some genuine benefit, and it would only be possible with um, very 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 large institutions like you know the United States federal government. Um, I mean, what would what would what the would reason be that point? 
the reason that people invest in SpaceX is because they believe in the mission that they have. And one of the primary things that like their cash cow, right, is going to be this, um, um, the satellite Star network. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you can't, you, I, you can't I, actually, you can't actually invest in, um, in, in SpaceX. It's, it's exclusively funded by, by Elon Musk. I don't think he wants investors because. No, no, the, it's a private company, but they do take investment from, from, uh, lots of people. Oh, I mean, it's okay. not. Could, it's could, not just could, funded by Elon Musk. He has nowhere near enough money for that. I could be. I could be wrong, but I was under the impression that he didn't want. Uh, he didn't want outside investors, or maybe he he has no plan to. Take he doesn't it want to take it public. That's ah, because oh, then he then he would be beholden to investors. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They, they actually they raised uh, all the way up. I think so. They've been raising capital for about thirteen years, um, and I think they have like they're on a Series M right now, <laughs> and you know. Obviously, shareholders are probably probably not happy about the continuous dilution, but it's also like one of those you know sexy companies that I'm sure plenty of venture capitalists want to be in. So, I, I know yeah, a couple of people that actually are in some of the funds they've invested, and in, and one of the primary reasons they uh, they have invested in it is not even monetary profit. They they just want um, you know to be alive by the time that people are going to Mars. Like, right. That's literally the entire reason they put money in it. Yeah. I think it's 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 quite an interesting uh, it's quite an interesting sort of case study, but um, but yeah, you know maybe maybe it's one of those things that do you think we would be where we're at um, right now in terms of space you know exploration and, and pushing the limits of you know scientific realities if we were in a um, you know in a anarcho capitalist society, given that you know we would possibly be without you know large institutions like well you know the ex Soviet Union I suppose and um and, and the united states government which were you know sort of impossible to answer we might we might not and if we are if we aren't then we would be ahead in different ways right like the, the okay. money would have been the resources would have been allocated towards different uh, different ends then um yeah. but what's clear is that the allocation of means in a free market is much more efficient than what it is by the state um or central planners in general um, so we would have allocated funds towards um, uh, goals more uh, more efficiently, more um, more in line with what the collective human, you know, humanity. Well, what wants. what consumers want, yeah. So right, okay. And that that doesn't just mean you know economically, you know, mon monetarily efficiently, but but I mean uh, psychic, uh, like efficient in terms of the psychic profit as well. So. Yeah. Um, it might be the case that there is enough people that uh, want uh, human uh, humans to go to the moon and go to Mars and all of these things that we would still, you know, have have put money into that. It yeah. Might not be the case. I don't know. Like that's yeah. impossible to say for sure. Yeah, it's it's really quite interesting. And of course, you know, we we try and sort of, um, you know, effectively and in, in a much more uh, roundabout way, we try and effectively do the same thing today by you know governments allocating budgets according to what it is that they think their people want money spent on. Uh, but maybe this is a, just more efficient way of actually properly doing that. Um, it, I it also really wanted is... to touch on the street lamp thing before we start. Oh, by yes. The way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I was getting ready to wrap up for the news <laughs> one thirty here, but, uh, but touch on the street lamp and that will be the last thing. Okay. So um, one of the things I think you're missing is that we actually have some examples of um, of uh, uh, free rider problems that have been solved by the free market, and one of the most prominent ones, I'm sure you probably like you've studied economics. I think you've been introduced to it. Is the idea of tying a positive uh, externality to a negative one? So with uh, radio, is uh, you know the the um, 
the normal example here where you have a positive externality, which is um, the broadcasting of mu uh, music and talk shows and whatever. And you, you couple that with advertisement, which is a negative externality. Uh, and that's a way to fund it. So you, what you could imagine with streetlights is uh, the positive externality of streetlights being uh, being coupled with uh, something like billboards. Um, right. That's one way to to solve it. The other way to solve it is, as we know, um, like I, and I, I'm not sure if you thought about that when you gave the example of street lamps. That we're, we're not talking about public property here. We're talking about private property. So if um, if a private property owner wants to be able to walk on their street at night, let's say it's in a homeowners association, well, the, the homeowners association is is going to fund the. Uh, the construction of, of street lamps and also the energy that goes into uh, powering them and all of this. And and um, so there would be obviously in that kind of an, uh, scenario there would be no um, public land at all. Uh, it's all sort of owned by anyone. Now, what would happen in the, in in a theory if someone wanted to, to you know, be a tourist uh, and they wanted to see the sites of somewhere else and they wanted to travel abroad? Uh, would they have to sort of pay some kind of uh, money to that to that like you know homeowners association or whoever's uh, effectively responsible for whoever privatizes the mona lisa or um the eiffel tower or whatever it may be would... yeah i mean if you go to the eiffel tower today you're going to be paying to go to the top of the eiffel tower um, right but i mean like uh paying the same to, with to museums and like in, in a local community if it's a gated community maybe there's you know an entry fee for people that don't live inside of the community um yeah and then, I'm not uh, going to say that there's like one single answer to this because there's like it depends on uh, what kind of property we're talking about and what the goal is of the people running it. It might also be the case that there is some public park or some private privately owned parks that are effectively public uh, just because the the property owner wants it to be public and they get psychic profit out of you know uh, the people that live around the private park. Um, they like they like these people. Um, so they, they want them to have access or maybe they're running, you know, a restaurant inside of the, the park and, and, um, pay like having free riders is actually a benefit to them because, uh, they, they get more people that are walking past their restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Look, I think it's, it's one of those things that, um, my ultimate problem with is that, Hey, eventually, you know, people, we're going to run out of people that things want to, uh, people want to plaster advertising on and. Um, you know, I think people can only be sort of administered with so much advertising in a day before they become numb. But um, maybe the society that we live in at the moment is is um, <laughs> evidence to the contrary of that. And, um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, eventually the, that, that might be a reality that we have to, to address. Now, um, that is all we have time for today. Uh, so a huge thank you. Uh, as I said, um, obviously, I just wanted to, to bring up the questions in this kind of environment. Uh, and I don't think it was necessarily even a debate, more so to, to give you a platform to really sort of to, you know, kind of give everyone the elevator pitch of those that were watching. Uh, ultimately, of course, everyone has to make up their own minds about, you know, where they sort of land on it and, you know, if they think this is a sound reality. But um, obviously, it's one of those more fringe things and something that you're very expert in. And, uh, and obviously, we have people that, you know, uh, are very, very good at bringing up sort of critical questions, both here on the panel, um, the, the viewers over on the main video and the commenters here on the live stream. Um, so thanks for, for sitting here. You were supposed to have backup, but um, your, your backup. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, uh, well, 
And, and you were supposed to be back up too, Rathy, but you sort of sat there quietly and just like, yeah, yeah, he's doing a good job. <laughs> you're, 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 you're the free rider. Yeah, I suppose right now. I, I didn't need it. Um, I, I thought it would be nice to have Lost Wolf, but maybe in another time. And and I appreciate that. Uh, first of all, that you made a video discussing it. I think that that's uh, it's it's really. I think it's something that's really interesting for people to learn about, even if they don't uh, don't agree with it or don't uh, see any benefit in it. It's still, you know, for um, just for academic purposes, it's still something that's interesting to learn about. And just just while we have you all here on the stream, still, I, I want to do a shameless plug for the Economics Explained Discord. Uh, there's many interesting people on on the um, on the Discord, and and if you want to talk to uh, to any of us, including me, uh, then you should definitely join and. Uh, and ask any questions that you have in uh, the economics channel or in the politics discussion channel or wherever your question fits. Yes, I've also shamelessly plugged um, the Discord server in the comment section of this video and every video. That is if my uh, invite links work, which they, they may or may not, uh, given my <laughs> sort of time run with technical progress. And, uh, and also while we're here, before we get everything done, uh, make sure to check out Peter Economics mm. and, and also Compounded Daily, both of them fantastic channels. Um, compound daily is, is one that I've actually used to reference. Like when, when, when explaining short selling became too complicated for my 20 minute long video, I just I said, go, go, go watch his video. Uh, he explained it better than I ever could anyway. So just, you know, I'm, I'm going to outsource all of the, uh, the explaining, um, <laughs> for you, which is half of what I do apparently, but, uh, you know, uh, make, make, make of that what you will. But, uh, with all that said, thank you all for, for watching. Thanks all to our panelists and, uh, we will see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you.